0: Hello, Outward listeners. This is Daniel, the producer. Before we start the show, I wanted to remind you all of the live show we're doing on Thursday, June 27th at 7 p.m. at Joe's Pub in Manhattan. We've got exciting guests, including author Alexander Chi and performer and activist Shakina Nafak. Tickets are available at slate.com slash live. We hope to see you there.
1: Oh, hello. <laughs> hello! I was so busy staring at my absolute cocktail that I forgot that I, what I was doing up here. Thank you so much, everyone, for coming here today and joining us on this inaugural Slate Day, New York City. Uh, we are very excited to be kicking off the day with a boozy brunch, and we have, as you know, some amazing guests. So I will get right to it. Uh, Nareen, lead us off. Sure. Hi, everyone.
2: So our first topic today is
1: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. (laughs) Right.
2: Booksmart. So we had to figure out a topic that both of our podcasts would have a lot to say about. And what we settled on was the feature film Booksmart, which is the actress Olivia Wilde's directorial debut. And I think probably in addition to the canon of American high school movies. Do you guys agree with that? So the plot of Booksmart, um, if you haven't seen it, there will be no spoilers, I think. We're going to try really hard to not spoil it. Um, so best friends Molly, played by Beanie Feldstein, and Amy, Caitlin Dever, are two very, very focused, high-achieving high school seniors who are uh, headed off to Yale in Columbia with a stop for a gap year in Botswana. Uh, But on the last day of school, they realized that while they'd been studying, everyone else had also been studying, getting into great colleges, in addition to having a life outside of class and going to parties. So the premise of the movie is Amy and Molly need one last achievement in high school, and that is having a great last night, going to the coolest last night of the party, last night's school party. And um, they are also trying to maybe make out or at least talk to their crushes there. So Brian... What did you think of the portrayal of high school in this movie? Did you recognize it?
4: Uh, that's an interesting question. Not really. Yeah. I think. I think actually one of my. I love the movie very much. I think it's like excellent. And everyone should see it. But my one or one of my few complaints with it was that high school was almost too nice, like yes. too perfect. Um, everyone in, you know, every, I mean, there are people who were sort of coded as like, I guess slightly bullyish or like a little distant or something, but no one's like truly bad or like mean. And there's no like risk of, of like true harm coming to anyone mm-hmm. in the way that I think is still true in a lot of American high schools. Um, you know, I think one thing we could talk about is whether that's like a positive thing for a movie like this or a queer in a queer movie as well. But um but no, it didn't it didn't really seem it seemed like an ideal kind of high school. Right. Yeah.
2: Well June, you are you did not go to an American high school, unlike I believe the rest of us here. So can you anthropologically describe for us the high school portrayed in this Uh, Movie and then maybe compare it a little bit with your other learnings about American high schools from other film and television? Exactly.
1: I did not actually go to American high school, but I've gone to American high school via television and film many times. And (laughs) this one was very different. And, And after a while, you're like, wow, nobody's being bullied. Nobody's, like, there are no mean girls. It's completely supportive the only time that there's anything negative is when people are maybe not true to themselves or like when people are trying too hard like the parents I mean the adults are basically absent in this movie in a way that is slightly weird mm. I mean
2: well they're played for laughs yeah they're bit, played right? for laughs
1: that's right they're just kind of they're, they're ridiculous parents are ridiculous adults are ridiculous not just parents also teachers everybody um, and partly because they're faking it and It seems like young people today are just so genuine and so like in support of each other, except when, you know, there's a rich kid and the rich kid is not popular, even though he's willing to, you know, essentially buy everybody's affection, but they don't want it because he's not being true to himself. And I just did not believe that. If you're going to get a ride in a cool car, you're going to take that ride. be on that yacht. yeah. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. He's on a boat. Come on. Yeah.
2: Right. I mean, so what are what are some of the things that felt like a fantasy to you about the way that that this high school was portrayed? I mean, so for one thing, um one of the main characters is queer and it's just like totally not a big deal. She's been out for 2 years. The only like sort of um, you know, controversy is that or not even controversy. The only difficulty is that she hasn't actually you know, kissed anyone right. yet? Right, like yeah. she hasn't actually had any requited love. That's yeah. the big thing. Yeah. There's also, um, you know, a moment in the bathroom where Beanie Feldstein's character overhears people talking about her, and you know, in a movie that was made 20 or even 10 years ago, they might have been like saying things about her appearance. Instead, they say she's a butterface, but for her personality, right? right? Exactly. Which yeah. is like kind of a lovely fantasy about how nice the children are today, but I'm not totally sure it's true. It felt so aspirational to me. Yeah, no. Absolutely. What did you guys make of that?
5: Um, okay, so I'm going to be a contrarian and let you know that I did not see the film. Um, <laughs> partly, though, because I am... Um, Generation X. So I grew up with 80s and 90s teen movies, and I'm really tired of seeing teenage white girls. So I'm just like, I'm not interested in this, which is no disrespect, no shade to anybody who did see it and loved it, whatever, that's great. But I would like to see a night of hijinks and shenanigans for girls of color, where that is the most, you know, challenging thing is a kiss, you know, and you don't have to deal with somebody's dead mother or you know some other sort of terrible physical trauma or whatever that often comes with coming of age stories for black girls or other girls of color Um, so I did not see the movie I'm sure it's great um, and then also I felt, and I don't know if it was just for my timeline, my social media experience, there was so much pressure to go see this movie that I was like, no, there's, there's going to be another movie about some teenage white girls next week. Yeah. I don't necessarily need to go see this movie. So it wasn't, I just felt very uh, pressured in a way to, you know, support this film that did not support me. So I'm not. I didn't go see it. So I don't really have, like, too much to talk about when it comes to what happened in the movie. Again, I'm sure it's great, it's beautiful, but I would also like to see that for other people. Why do you think there was such a conversation around the movie
2: then? Like, why did it become such a thing on Twitter? Is it because it's, like, the high school experience a lot of people wish that they had seen or had themselves? Like, what do you think that's about?
5: I don't know. I I really didn't... I saw, you know, some ads for it on Twitter um, and sometimes on Instagram, but then once the story became, you have to go see it, you have to... It's the most important thing out. It has to beat these big, you know, studio films. Um, That's what I started to hear more about it, that it has to beat, you know, Avengers or whatever else, the big movies that were out that weekend. Well, Brandon, I think a lot of people
2: were excited by the portrayal of a high school gay relationship in this movie. What did you think about the way that that was handled as just, like, not a big deal?
6: So I actually really loved the fantasy aspect of the movie. Yeah. Um, And so just because I think, especially when you have the people, the sorts of people who are portrayed in the movie, young women, um, queer characters, um, there are so many movies where we see them having to deal with various traumas. Um, and so for me this sort of the idea there's this weird sort of protectiveness over marginalized people needing to be marginalized also in film um, that for me like like I said like there's, there's so many of those sorts of films and so I actually thought it was really powerful um, that you could have you could have these characters exist in a universe where they could You know, that aspect of their identity was already sorted out. It was protected. People were supportive of it. Um, And they could sort of explore the sorts of things that their straight peers have always been able to explore in movies. So I actually love that.
2: I was sort of annoyed by it. I, I'm sort of of the Mean <laughs> Girls era, and you know that was obviously more satirical, but also in weird ways more accurate about the ways that like high school girls in particular are cruel to each other. But then I had this realization that this movie is actually structured basically like a Midsummer Night's Dream. Like, it is a fantasy, right? They're all going out into the night, and they are, like, it's like it's the last night of college, or of high school. It's totally this enchanted zone where anything can happen. They literally, like, I mean, spoiler alert, I guess, that they um, they take some kind of psychedelic drug and, and trip, <laughs> which is, you know, there's, there's even, like, a theater set piece. Like, so, okay, so in this imaginary midnight zone, kind of anything can happen, including high school kids being actually incredibly sweet to each other yeah what what did you guys think of the um, bathroom scene is that too much of a spoiler to bring up here
4: I mean I think because we've published a piece on slate.com about it we can talk about it a little bit do,
6: do you want to react?
4: well
1: so in the movie um, Amy Amy is the so Amy is the girl who is queer but she hasn't yet had um, any action but she has a crush. Um, and then she ends up in a bathroom with a girl who's, like, a super hot girl who, you know, has always been... Who has actually been the mean girl of the show. Yeah. And they end up kind of having what is a very convincingly awkward and fumbling first uh, encounter. Uh, and I guess the, the kind of polite way of putting it is that she maybe confuses orifices. Yeah. And there's a question of, like, whether any anyone would actually do that. And And I think probably... It's a little, like, the specifics of it are a little unbelievable, but also um, I think the fact that uh, if if we just take it to represent the sort of, I really want to do something, we're really trying to, like, do this thing that we really don't know how to do and that we really haven't, even in this very protected um, supportive community gun any information on what I should actually do with a girl yeah. then it was believable in that sense. Like the specifics may have been not believable, but the f- the vibe, the feeling was believable.
4: I also love any sex scene in a movie where people struggle to take their pants off. <laughs>
1: because like I mean
4: these pants, like if I like these these are hard to take <laughs> off. And like you it's not just like woo it's gone. Oh, Ooh, there okay. goes cards. <laughs> it's not just like woo it's gone. Like it's like, you know, it takes time. And they that I thought was a lovely yeah. way of of handling that yeah
2: yeah she was really sensitive the director was really sensitive about it Um, I read an interview where she said you know it was written as this like gross out moment right which like any it seems like the sort of note from studios is like any movie about women you gotta like have a really kind of gross scene in it to like just you know get people laughing or whatever and she sort of took that and made it this like tender weirdly tender moment which I thought was kind of great yeah
6: And I think part of what I thought was really great about, um, you know, people have criticized that particular scene, and I think if there seems like there was sort of a lack of attention to that, I think part of it is because so much of the movie actually wasn't necessarily about finding romance. Um, I thought the powerful point of the movie was the female friendship that it portrayed, and it's something that we haven't really seen in that particular way in a lot of movies. And so actually when I first saw the movie, what I thought of was, can you ever forgive me? And blockers were the movies that first sort of came to mind because it's there are other movies that center friendship, right? Whether it's um, between women, young women, whether it's between queer friends growing or you know uh, dealing with marginalization in the '90s. Um, But I think to have seen that in like a high school context, um, I think that was part of the point of the movie. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's true that the the key friendship between Amy and Molly is so like what an aspirational relationship, and it kind of if only we all had a friendship like that. That, that it, was just amazing. Is it?
2: Oh my God! Molly yes. controls her. I'm, I'm with everyone in the movie who so said the Molly controls her.
1: Well, she does. But at least they're like, they each have, they have each other, you know. And I think that Codep- Amy, actually, you're describing codependence. <laughs> yes. <exactly. laughs> yeah. Um, I wonder. So it seems like in the past
2: few years, there's been a sort of moment where the queer teen movie is a thing. Um, I wonder where you guys would sort of locate that this movie in that somewhat more specific teen movie canon, right? So there was, like, Love, Simon. There have been... There was Blockers last year, which was a sort of similar, like, okay, it's the end of high school. We all have to lose our virginity on this one night kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Do you guys think this advances... The conversation?
4: This is the first one well I haven't seen all of those but I'd say this is the first one of that genre you're talking about that I've liked so Uh I I like that I think it you know I think it balances this thing that queer movies have to do well where either you if you make it like their queerness such a non-issue that it's not present then is it really a queer is it really queer representation right Um, or if it's like the whole point you know if it's like a big coming out story or whatever that's too much and I think this ba- this threaded that needle really nicely in a way that I that I haven't really seen before
2: yeah do you think people want fantasy or reality from their teen movies and 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 I will append onto the end of that what's your favorite teenage movie and then we will move on to the next topic but everyone can just tell mine is Mean Girls I'll just tell you guys that uh, I'm
1: a product of my time I don't think I have one I don't I think like it's Even though it's a genre that I watch a lot on TV, like I've not been a huge fan of the movie genre of like teenage, because especially since so many of them are like gross out and and oddness. um, I'm I'm very pro-fantasy.
5: Okay. Yeah, I think um, I prefer more fantasy than reality because I'm very much like, I want to escape everything that's happening. Um, So I, I would say, I would say I would, these teenage movies or coming-of-age movies should be more fantasy. Um, but for me, I think I like... Um, I don't know it was a teenage movie, but it's more of a coming-of-age story. So this movie called Eve's Bayou. Well, um, w- so it's a beautiful film that takes place in the New Orleans area, Louisiana area. Um, it's directed by... Oh, no, I forgot her name as soon as it popped in my head. Um, you can look it up. Eve's Bayou. It's a great movie. <laughs>
6: Um, I think I love both types of movies, like fantasy but also reality. So, for instance, like last year or two years ago, there was Beach Rats, um, which I feel like is the complete inversion of what we get with Booksmart. Um, But I think more recently, I I think I've liked the the fantasy aspect. And I think probably my favorite high school coming-of-age movie would be Bring It On. Um,
2: great, great choice. And also, I think
6: when you're specifically talking about the queer aspects of it, I would say that um, Booksmart actually does advance the genre, right? Because it, Bring It On is a movie, I love it, but often the, the characters, they're not really expo- explicitly said to be queer or they're played for jokes, right? Um, and so I think it still was caught up in that sort of casual homophobia um, that you had in the early 2000s.
2: yeah. Yeah.
6: Yeah. Because I have the memory of a cat, I think
4: um, I'm going to say book smart because that's all, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I only right. remember what just happened to that
2: me, so a that's it. That is great to end <laughs> yeah. That's why they have you reading the ads, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, okay, so let's move on to our next topic.
1: That's chumbacasino.com.
4: No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions
2: 18 plus.
1: Which is, we are very lucky today to have with us uh, the First Lady of New York City, Shirley McRae. As First Lady of New York City, Shirley McRae is a nationally recognized. As a powerful champion for mental health reform, Ms. McCrae created Thrive NYC, the most comprehensive mental health plan of any city or state in the nation, and a lifelong activist, First Lady McRae continues to fight for gender equity and LGBTQ rights, support survivors of gender-based violence, and create a more inclusive NYC. So when you guys leave the stage, the First Lady of New York City is going to join us. We're so glad you're here with us today. Uh, And we also know that you have a plane to catch, so we're extra glad. Um, We want to start by just talking about the very concept of being a first lady. It's, you know, it just feels very strange and old fashioned to kind of define a human by who they're married to or partnered with. And at the same time, I have to admit, I think it's really cool that the city I live in has a strong black woman as its first lady. so, to talk me through your relationship with that title and that role. How has it evolved over your time in the position?
7: Well, I do think it is strange and old-fashioned, and I, I, I think they should come up with something better. But I refuse to let myself be defined by any title. I, I feel like that is very limiting to think, oh, I have to fit within this, um, this, this, this moniker that has been designed for, you know, for, for women who are the spouses of the, the mayors over time, it doesn't make any sense. Right. Times have changed, I am my own person, I have my 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 own life, and I should just get out there and, and, and do what I wanna do, making the most of this platform, this very important platform that I have.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think about it a lot, yeah, I, yeah, just, yeah. I just kind of be me. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I have to note that your husband, uh, Mayor de Blasio recently announced his candidacy for the presidency Uh, what was your reaction when he, or what was the process of kind of deciding to do that and especially in a year where there are more viable female and people of color candidates, uh, do we need another white man in the race? Like, how, How did you work with him on that?
7: All white men are not alike, <laughs> and we came to the decision as a family over a period of months, many discussions. And I'm not going to tell you what those uh, what we said during those discussions. But it really is um, it really was a family discussion and decision. And you know, we he wouldn't be doing it if we weren't all supportive of the of the effort. And I do believe he does bring. a different message, uh, different values to the campaign than than other candidates. And you'll be hearing a lot more about that going forward.
5: (laughs) I wonder then, have you reached out to former First Lady Michelle Obama to get tips on how to survive the White House in case the um, campaign is successful?
7: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I reached out to uh, Michelle Obama before my husband became mayor to find out how to survive Gracie Manchin. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> and I think that the advice she gave me actually um, is the same advice I would take with me on, on, on the road now. Um, of course, it would be nice to check in with her again and mm-hmm. see if she's got some uh, update to the advice she gave me back then. But I think that um, she's, uh, the path is different for everyone. Right. And there's only so much someone can tell you. About about how you how you how you walk that path how you make that journey. Can
5: you can you share some a tip or something that um, she gave you for surviving being in a, a a partner in a political office?
7: I think the most important advice she gave me was to make sure I had a good scheduler and watch my time <laughs> uh, yeah. because you know there are so many demands. Uh, there's, there are traditions, um, there's requests, demands, there's um, things that are part of whatever your mission is, your platform, and then there's things that you want to do. Um, there's not a lot of time. Yeah. So yeah. one has to be very focused, and I think her advice to you know, watch, watch your time, make sure you have time for yourself was was, was really helpful.
1: Um, obviously, each spouse or partner of a candidate decides how much of a how much of a part they're going to play in their partner's campaign how have you decided to to support your husband and and uh, what's your favorite hot dish in Iowa
7: (laughs) well I um, have been a partner with my husband for a long time we've been married for 25 years as of now, two weeks ago. Oh, wow. 25 years is a long time. So, I, I see myself as um, doing pretty much what we've always done. You know, I have an issue of, of focus. I, I focus on mental health, and mental health is not a, really a single issue policy, it, 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 it affects everything. It affects um, LGBT, the LGBTQ community. It affects Women who are incarcerated. It affects education and the workplace. So it's it gives me a, a lot of room to move in, and I will be talking about mental health every day, um, just as I do now, um, while I travel around the country. Mm-hmm.
5: Well, uh, well, I wanted to ask since we were just talking about book smart. Um, A lot of times there is this kind of concern trolling when it comes to queer content in film, television, and and literature where people are like, you know, how can we expose children to this? We should not give this, you know, have this kind of discussion in front of children. How do you respond to that kind of opposition that, you know, doesn't really seem to make sense, but how, how would you respond to that?
7: I think we should be very conscious about what we're exposing our our young people to, but I don't think about that in terms of the queer content, I think about the violence, I think about the um, not showing people with dignity, Mm -hmm. right, that that is much more of a concern to me. Also, not being inclusive. Um, I am so glad that we have much more inclusivity now um, in, in our media. We're not there yet, I mean, we're in a long, you know, we've got a long way to go, but you know, I grew up in the, in the time in the 60s, early 70s when, you know, we still had, it was Tarzan movies, Shirley Temple. I never saw uh, positive black female images until I was in high school or college um, in terms of the broader mainstream media, and I think that's harmful. Those are the kinds of things that I I think about and those are the kinds of things that I want us to do a better job at showing better representation, greater representation of all the possibilities. You know, the families that that are created um, in LGBTQ community um, and, and, uh, you know, it's not about just the the traditional, you know, man, woman, two children anymore. So we're we're in a new world and we've got to show that.
1: It's um I you, you were talking about your work on mental health, and I know that one of your big projects is First Lady and taking advantage of this platform is working with homeless LGBTQ youth, which you know, feels like one of the thus far at least failures of the movement. I mean, fifty years ago, when Stonewall happened, that was it largely happened because there were LGBTQ youth on the streets who really had nothing to lose and were like, I can throw a brick through a window because what you know really there's there, nothing nothing worse could happen. And 50 years later, things are a little better than that. But still, we have a terrible problem with this. What can we as individuals and also as a city do to try to counter this just endemic problem of, of homeless queer youth? Well, I'm very proud
7: that um, just recently we announced the the uh, that we're going to put up a monument, the first public permit art, uh, public art, to honor trans women, Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. That's huge, that's huge. And we have to do more of that to show, um, to show our history, to show the history that's been uh, erased or at least not talked about as much. I'm, I'm very proud that we have made an unprecedented effort to make sure that our LGBTQ young people are safe, supported, and, and healthy. Um, as you said, 40% of our LGBT youth in this city are, are are homeless because they've been rejected by their families. And we are working on making sure that families know that um, that first of all that there are other families like them, and that they they can get training and and help to reconcile their, their fears and their worries about their young people so that their young people aren't rejected. We have a public awareness campaign, and I hope pe- as people walk around the city, take the trains and the buses, they'll, they'll still see um, LGBTQ young people um, looking gorgeous <laughs> on bus shelters and on subways. I mean, I, we want to show the, the possibilities. We want to uh, connect families to direct resources. Uh, it's, it's not, this is something we can prevent. And, and we're doing everything we can to, to do that because we know that when uh, LGBTQ young, young, young people are rejected by their families, they have a higher rate of mental illness, higher rate of absenteeism from school. Many do not finish school. Many are uh, subject to violence and and, um, certainly have better uh, physical health outcomes, Uh, we can prevent all of that. So we've also have um, expanded our shelters and and community centers around the city. We have, we are expanding our 24 seven centers so that every young person who identifies as LGBTQ has a place to go, whether they're in the Bronx or Queens, Staten Island, or or Brooklyn, that there's a place for them to go 24 seven and be safe to grow community and connect to city services. And that's the kind of thing that we all can support. We can all donate to, donate to um, those efforts to make sure that uh, we're doing our part.
1: Right. Um, In 1979, 10 years after Stonewall, you published an essay in essence called I'm a Lesbian. You've you've just uh, republished it in the Stonewall Reader. How has it been for you to kind of deal with with people knowing that, reading that, it's a very powerful essay, actually, about the importance of community. I mean, I, I'm very glad that people... That it's easier now for people to read, but how has it been to, to kind of... Do you ever regret publishing it, I guess, is the question that I'm asking.
7: No, I never regret publishing it. I'm, I'm, I'm proud that I was brave enough to do it. Um, you know, my parents didn't want me to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm glad I did, and I think that I'm, um, I'm really pleased that it still has meaning for young people today. You know, I do run into young people and I say, oh my goodness, I saw it and and it really meant something to me. It, so I, I think that's a good thing and I think it's good for people to know that there that there is fluidity and, and sexuality and that um, they don't have to feel stuck, right? right?
1: One last question, I think.
5: Um, one last question. Okay, we're going to end on a lighter note. Something a little, um, I don't know, hopefully fun. Um, but <laughs> maybe not fun. I don't know. But what is your typical morning and night routine? Like when you get up, what's the first thing you do? Um, and then in the, in the evening, how do you take the day off?
7: Oh, you know, I have, I have no two days that are exactly alike. But I'll give you the basics. I get up... Um, I put on my gym clothes because I like to exercise first thing in the morning. And that's kind of how I get my day going. But so, you don't go to the park slope Y? I, I do. Oh, you do. I do, but I got to put on my gym clothes first. <laughs> <laughs> but if I can't get to the Y, sometimes I just go for a walk because it's just about moving. I have weights in uh, my house so I can lift weights, I have a mat so I can do push ups and all of that. I, I, that's how I like to start my day, I like to have a big cup of tea, maybe some yogurt or something, and that's how I, I get going by working my body. At the end of the day, which is sometimes really late, um, you know, I try not to eat too late because that just messes me up for the, the next day, but I like to have a glass of wine, I like to watch TV, I can't wait till the next season of Pose. And
1: <laughs> Very
7: soon. <laughs> and, and that's when I hang out with my husband and, and then we, uh, you know, I, I, I read. I read before I turn off the light. First Lady of New York
1: City, Shirley McLean, thank you so much for coming here before you head off to Iowa today. We really
3: appreciate your time. Thank, and you. Your presence. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
4: Hello, everybody. We're here for our next segment. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to introduce our next guest. Uh, I would like to think her claim to fame is were her wonderful columns that I edited for Slate.com, uh, but some of you might know her from a little show called RuPaul's Drag Race, uh, possibly. Uh, to me, she is a friend and the most brilliant queen I know. Please welcome to the Slate Day Stage, Ms. Cracker. A queen with a message, I love it, I love it. Oh my goodness. Welcome Miss Cracker. Wow, is she crooked?
0: Hello everybody! <laughs> She's it down. feels so weird having one of these in my face. Let me make it. There we go, that feels better. Yes. Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah, familiar, yeah. Yeah,
0: okay, hello, no more fooling around. How's everyone doing today? going to tighten this up. Um, righty tidy.
4: Tighten that up. While you're tightening it up, I'm going to ask you yes. about that number. So that was from your show, American Woman, if I can say it the right way. Correct, and thank you so much. You're yes. welcome. Can you explain to us what that show is and why you are doing it?
0: Um, American Woman is a drag show about feminism, um, and I was super careful not to make it just mansplaining feminism in a dress. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like just me making fun of all of the things that I've done wrong as a cis man, as a cis gay, um, and the things I think I can do better as a drag queen in order to make the world a more welcoming place for women.
6: Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious as to what particular insights do you think being a drag queen gives you into feminism?
0: Well, like, I don't think it gives you any special insights. I think no matter who you are, even if you are another woman, you constantly have to make leaps of imagination, be imagining other people, and what it feels like to be the person in front of you. Does that make sense? But it certainly helps to um, put on a woman's... Uh, a, a, like a stereotypical woman's silhouette. Um, because as soon as you look like a stereotypical cartoon woman, you get some of the shit that women get every day. And I don't know, that's not full insight, but it's like a tiny little chink in the wall. You're like, oh, what if it was like this all day long? You know what I mean? So yeah. It is, it's not definitely like, the, it's not the same. It's not equal, but it is definitely just that small window.
4: Yeah. I mean, and I'm sure you also, because of that, uh, because you're in that outfit, you you hear this sort of gay male misogyny that's like a specific kind. Can you describe like what that, what you're trying to combat basically with this show a little bit more?
0: I think that um, when you go to gay bars, it's not. Uh, misogyny is not a subtle thing it's um there are limits on the number of women that are allowed into gay bars in a lot of new york city um and you will hear uh gays refer to women as fish or tuna Mm -hmm. and make smelly vagina jokes and even though we have adult bodies many of us still laughing um in a very crude and cruel way about menstruation and tampons and all of that stuff. Um, and it's fine to do that. Usually if it's inviting and makes people feel good at the end of the conversation, but usually it's to help make women feel disgusting. Yeah, That's a lot of the humor that Queens and gays use against women. So just remember how it's being heard. You know what I mean?
4: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we mentioned it's pride month. It is, and I feel like it's an important Pride Month. Um, what is? It is th- because Uber has
0: those rainbow. <laughs> 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 it's so great. It's like a little pinwheel. You uh-huh. get to watch your cab like <laughs> spin in a circle <laughs> nine blocks north of where you are when you ordered it from downtown. It's like, well, at least it's rainbow now. <laughs>
4: Well, aside from that, what are you reflecting on? You know, what what, what uh, themes or, or notions are you reflecting on this Pride season?
0: Well, like, my brand is, like, happiness and celebration, so that you know that most of the time I'm really thinking about death. Um, <laughs> and uh, so when I think about Pride Month, I'm really now thinking of survival. For me, Pride is about just celebrating all of us that are here and still alive because there's so many reasons for us to be dead all over the world you know and i just pride month is the month for us to come together and be like you're still here and you're still here and he was here and like do you know what i mean like celebrate life yeah
6: yeah yeah that's wonderful um i'm curious as to what is next
0: what is next for me well i'm god damn it I'm going to tour American Woman around the world. Woo.
4: <laughs> truly the world, right? Like. The,
0: the whole, truly the world. I'll be at the London Palladium, which is actually where, that is the historic place where there's a Starbucks. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm going I'm to take it around the world. And I started here in New York because in New York, people will tell you to your face exactly what they think. And so I did it for New York audiences and then just sort of stood in the aisles and was like all right, and it
4: was positive (laughs)
0: feedback. So that's the next thing, is to take this New York-tested show on the road.
4: Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, Well, speaking of that, uh, and getting some feedback perhaps here in New York, would you mind doing another number for us? Would
0: you guys like me to do
3: another number? Hi. but there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets.
4: Okay. Are we all recovered from that? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um,
1: That was stunning.
6: Brandon, do you want to tell us about
1: our... Yeah, let's
4: do
6: it the
1: Uh,
4: last segment segment?
6: yeah yeah so i'm not sure how many of you are familiar with pride and provocations but one of our segments that we have on the outward podcast um really quickly the way that it usually works is brian christina and i will usually pick some news item, some piece of culture and we'll talk about whether it was a source of pride or was it a provocation um and then we talk about why um but this time we want to do it with a slight twist Um, Instead of us coming up with the things that we talk about, we would like for you to offer, again, something in the news, some piece of culture, um, and then we will adjudicate whether this is pride, provocation, both. Yeah. Um, As a quick example, uh, this week, the NYPD apologized for um, police harassment that led to the Sunwall riots. Um, You could make an argument that this was an important thing to do. It was an important first step. You could also say, was this too little too late? Um is this not that comforting when you think of it, you know, this was something that happened in nineteen sixty nine and this is also um police harassment of queer communities still happens today, right? Um and so without that sort of that broader trajectory, what does it actually mean? Um so those are the parameters. Yeah. And we would love to have someone in the audience give us something to, to mull over. Yeah. You got one? Yeah.
3: Uh, The corporatization of pride, both in businesses that have rainbow everything with their logo to all the corporate floats in the pride parade.
4: Yeah. What do we think about that? Pride or provocation?
1: I think it is both pride and provocation. I mean, obviously, it is extremely provoking that so much of it is pro forma. And like I think every company feels like they've got to rainbowify their logo for one month of the year. And it's kind of tiresome. At the same time, it's also good, right? It's good that they are... That there is now a level of comfort um, because I think, no, you know, we, we shouldn't fool ourselves in thinking that while it makes us feel mildly included, it also does provoke a lot of haters. So it feels like both pride and provocation to me. Yeah.
6: I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Yeah,
2: I feel like when big brands have tried to co-opt you, that's how you know you've made it, right? That's
4: <laughs> Yeah. I think I mean I feel like there's also rules to doing it well, right? Like if it's if it's just like an afterthought, then that's not very good. But if the corporation is uh, is serious about what they're doing, if they've you know they you know if they do like an ad campaign or like a, a special product and they hire queer artists, like that's mm-hmm. a good sign, right? Or if right. you're donating some proceeds to charity, those kinds of things are the ways I think that it that it is done well
6: um, right. versus. Sort of just as a as a adjacency sort of right. thing, right? Going beyond just sort of like changing our Twitter logo to yeah. reflect pride, but are you like partnering with like local organizations? Or are you giving back to queer communities? Um, you know, there's something beyond just the artifice of like, oh, we're doing it for this one month of the year. Yeah,
1: yeah. And spend some, and companies spend some money on queer people, queer artists, queer people in need. Yeah,
6: yeah.
4: Any others?
1: Oh, over here. Hold on.
4: The president of
6: the United States issued a properly spelled, <laughs> grammatically correct, properly capitalized tweet in support and became the first Republican
4: president to do so. Is that pride or provocation? For pride, do you mean? Yeah, yeah. What? Do, how do we feel about Trump uh, honoring LGBT Pride Month? Uh, I think
1: that that falls under the uh, category of uh, priding for, or, you know, public priding, private shaming, or something. So. I would feel very conflicted and, and overall very negative about that one. I think.
6: Yeah, because like his track record shows that, like you don't care. <laughs> it's all fake.
5: Yeah, know. like he he hasn't really done much, particularly as he's trying to remove trans people from military service and things like that. Like, he's clearly just that's that's provocation right there. Yeah.
1: We'll believe you when you stop fighting to take away trans healthcare, trans military service, trans blah, 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 yeah.
4: Yeah, if I could be provoked by him anymore, I would be, but I just, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm dead inside for that. Um, how are we on time? Are we still uh,
5: A couple more minutes.
4: A couple more minutes, great, all right. Uh, another one, yeah.
5: So my, my one is uh, bumbling allies, and specifically oh Taylor Swift and her <laughs> recent situation. I'm just curious about the thoughts you guys have of you know the hints that were dropped, and then the ultimate non-unveiling
4: yeah yeah how do we feel about bumbling allies like Taylor Swift <laughs> Prior to provocation. well
2: I tried to make us talk about this as one of our that's topics that's true yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's a total provocation uh, and I'm not necessarily part of the queer community but it irritates me uh-huh. so I'm curious how the, you guys feel
1: hi I'm, well I'm looking at you Brandon because I know you're a tete expert
6: um, yeah, well, I think especially among queer men, this allyship has a very particular history, a very particular role with, you know, these sort of gay icon figures and what makes one a real gay icon like Carly Ray Jepsen versus somebody where it's just like you're still, you're a baby icon, like you're, you're working on it. <laughs> um, and I think part of it is just like knowing the language to use when you're talking to communities, knowing who you're sort of. Um, censoring when you're sort of condemning certain actions. Um, and I think it's having some sort of genuine familiarity with it. So with Taylor Swift, you know, I don't, Taylor Swift's not like an enemy, I would say. Like I'm not, I don't stay up <laughs> at night thinking like, oh my God, Taylor Swift, she's awful for the gays. Um, Bad but for not, the gays. Yeah, like I'm not, I'm not gonna like go out of my way to be like, yes, queen, Taylor Swift. <laughs> I don't know. Like for me, like she's just maybe sort of neutral. <laughs> so what know.
1: you're saying is she's no Kesha.
6: She's not Kesha. Yeah. I, I, I love 1989 is a masterwork album, but <laughs> that doesn't mean that Taylor Swift is necessarily a LGBTQ ally. So, yeah,
4: it's
1: tricky though, right? Because we, we in this age of fluidity, like we keep hearing about people who are kind of presenting or are traditionally presented as straight, doing more than just hinting and saying, oh well, actually, I'm in a relationship with a woman. I mean, you know, Beanie Feldstein said that in some of the publicity for when they were, you know, promoting Booksmart. And so, like, we are beyond an age where we can just assume that unless anybody says otherwise, people are straight. But yeah. I gotta say, Taylor Swift, uh, I'm, not, I'm not buying it.
2: Yeah, she she was just deliberately using the prurient curiosity to, uh, you know, with sort of no payoff of any kind of revelation or exploration or anything. I just, it was just more, more Taylor Swift. All right, another?
6: Yeah. So, Janice Films is. Re releasing Jenny Livingston's Paris is Burning um, in, at film form, and then it's going to roll out to about 32 countries, I mean, 32 cities and the rest of the country. How do you feel about the re release of that film?
4: So, that, the question was how do we feel about the re release of Paris is Burning, an iconic uh, 1990,
3: 1991
4: uh, film about the, the drag ball community? Um, yeah, it's coming back. What do we feel, how do we feel about it? It's got some controversy around yeah. it, right? So maybe if you want to talk about
2: it. what's the controversy? I'm
1: not familiar a with controversy that controversy around it being made. Well, by I a think I think the,
4: the quick version is just that it was made by a white woman um, and that it perhaps appropriated from a culture that wasn't hers. Some people feel that way. Other people don't. Um, it's it's sort of up for debate. Yeah.
5: Um, and oh. so they're bringing it back there's also some issue about her exploiting the cast members and the people um, you know, who she highlighted and that they weren't paid properly or compensated properly so there's a lot of issues with that and it's, it's been on Netflix for a very long time yeah. I think yeah. it's still on Netflix so yeah. it's still fairly accessible um, so to see it go into the theaters I, I to kind of wonder like, what is the purpose here
6: uh I don't know i I think there's power in having this sort of wide release of things um it it does i think depending on like what you show in theaters does in some way indicate what you think is worthy of being in a theater, what's worthy of taking up that sort of space in a in the community um and I think one thing that you could do with re releasing or showing the film like this is actually um what theaters have done with other controversial movies, which is you know make it sort of educational do you have sort of a chat before or after with the director or people Mm, who are involved Um, you can make it so that you're not just sort of like putting it out there for people to walk away with a certain impression but um, you can actually make it a complex nuanced conversation I think that would be a good thing to do but I think it's I don't know I think it's fine yeah so context is what we need yeah
4: Uh, do we have time for one more or we one more All right, one more anybody make
1: it good people
4: if we don't have any oh there's one do you guys have any uh, Tony predictions for tomorrow? <laughs> Tony predictions? Ooh. I lack the musical theater gay gene. I do too. It's really yeah. bad. It's like a big problem for me. Yeah. I'm sorry. No. Uh, so I don't. Does anybody else? And I'm
1: I'm at the edge where I never want to leave my house. So I haven't <laughs> no seen anything this year. So, no.
6: God.
5: Oh, no. No, <laughs> no I don't, no. I don't <laughs> do <laughs> so <laughs> musicals. So sorry. We, we all failed. need Broadway.
4: <laughs> we got to get to Broadway. Jeez. Uh, well... Sorry. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Not provoked or pride. Yeah. <laughs> That's, been That's
1: a terribly provoking for the world. As yeah, our yeah. failure to... Yeah.
5: yeah.
4: All right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank
5: you. Yay.
4: All right. I think that is all the time we have for that. Are you doing the exit? Who's doing the exit?
1: Well, we should thank people, right? Yeah, let's thank Thank you, everyone, for coming. Thank you to... <laughs> yeah. Thank you to our producer, Danielle Hewitt, and Daniel Schrader. But most of all today, thank you to Faith Smith, who organized this amazing day, especially this quite complicated production. Thank you to Absolute for an open bar. got to love an open bar. Yeah. And uh, thank you to everyone. Uh, We will do it again very soon.
4: Yes, we will.